Father, you know where each of us is, Lord, in our journey with you and our journey on earth, Lord God. You know where we are as far as the desert or a fire, Lord, if we're in the midst of the battle. And God, you know that there are times, Father, when it's hard to um, find something good in that situation. But Lord, we recognize and we know and we declare today, Father, that no matter what we're going through, we can still sing praise to you. We can still glorify you because, God, you're, you, you are God in every situation that we're in. No matter what we're going through, God, your love is the same. You are the same, and you are still God. We thank you for that.
talk to God. Our Father in heaven, uh, we just enter your presence today with a heart full of gratitude. Gratitude that you love us. Gratitude that you sent your son to die for us. Gratitude that we can be together today celebrating all you've done for us with each other. I pray that that would continue to be the theme of this day and our week, that, that we would just find our hearts overflowing with gratitude to you. We pray this in the name of Jesus, who loves us so much. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. So the opening prayer, um, one of the lines in there is quiet us, quiet us. Just take that moment to be quiet. And um, our society doesn't provide a lot of opportunities for quiet. So we try to provide some of those opportunities, some of those moments where you just get to be quiet for a little bit. And one of the quiet times we're going to experience right now is communion. So we're going to have our servers coming in a moment to distribute communion to us. It's on a tray with bread in the middle and cups on the side. And um, what we want to encourage you to do during that time today is to take each of the elements, hold them in your hands, and while you do, I want you to think about this simple fact. Think about how much God loves you. Think about how much God loves you. Now, hear what I said. I didn't say think about how much you think God loves you. Because if we do that, some of us will just go, he doesn't. But the objective fact of Scripture is that he loves every one of us. He knows every person in this room by name. He knows the details of your life, good, bad, and ugly, and that's not what determines whether or not he loves you. He just flatly, outright adores you. So, as you're holding that bread and cup today, allow yourself to be adored by Jesus.
Jesus loves me. He really loves me. And I know this, the Bible tells me. It's an objective fact. It's a reality. And we know it mostly because he gave his life for us. And the greatest thing that a friend can do is die for us. Jesus, we often talk about how much we love you. Pray that we would spend more time thinking about how much you love us. In your name, amen. So, let's move from quiet to chaos. Here's your question of the morning. It's pretty easy, really. Question of the morning is, look around the room. This isn't turn and talk necessarily. You can be chatty if you want. Look around the room and name as many people as you can in 45 seconds. Okay? Now, I gave you cheat sheets today. So if you want to run around and look at the cheat sheet, that's up to you. But next 45 seconds, how many people can you name in this room right now? Count with your fingers and toes. Go. Family counts. If your family's here, family counts. Got like 15 seconds to go. Hopefully you're beyond one. My name is Dennis. In case you don't know, there's another one. All right, time is up. So we'll do it this way. Now, let's face it. If you're new, you may only know one or two, and that's cool. So this isn't to embarrass you today, okay? But if you could name at least one person in the room, including yourself, raise your hand. Excellent. Perfect score. Don't keep them up because they're going to drop as we go. If you can name five, keep your hand up. If you can name ten, keep your hand up. If you can name 15, keep your hand up. Okay, we're starting to hit the dropping off point. If you can name 20, keep your hand up. Now you know that I'm going to make you name them all. No, not really. If you can name 25, keep your hand up. If you can name 30, keep your hand up. If you can name more than 30, consider yourself knowing a lot of people. That's fantastic. Very good. Very good. Uh, yeah, names are important, right? I mean, the most fundamental thing about establishing a relationship is, hi, my name is, right? And, I mean, we don't do the name tag thing all the time. So if you're new with us, don't get tense. We do it every once in a while to kind of remind ourselves. I consider it kind of an amnesty day. There's somebody that you haven't known for like two years, and you keep calling them Bud. And today's the day to drop the bud. So run around as fast as you can after church and figure out what people's names are. And if you really want to have fun with people's heads, switch with your wife. See what happens. Go ahead and switch up the tags. But no, names are very, very important. It's important to know people's names. Having said that, I mean, let's face it. Some of us, we really struggle with knowing names, grasping names. It's, it's a nonstop thing. We just kind of go through that. But knowing a name... I mean, when somebody calls out your name, actually, especially somebody that you don't expect to know your name, it's kind of cool. It's like, wow, they know who I am. We're in this series where we're getting ready to move. We are down, this is our 12th Sunday before the move, and we're just moving through some of the fundamentals of who we are as a church. Most of that, if you come along with us, you know who we are but also to look at what we believe, what we say we believe, and ask ourselves the question, is our behavior matching our belief? And if it's not, where do we need to adjust and change and grow so that we're ready for opening day? So when you go to our website, you see this sheet of things that we say, this is what we're about. 
And these are taken from Acts chapter 2. We've already talked about biblical teaching and what we believe about the Bible. And today we're moving on to the concept of, of spiritual friendships. We believe strongly that God wants us to be involved in spiritual friendships. Uh, for some people, church is come, watch a service, listen to a sermon, dart to the car. And, and you know what that is? That, that's, that's coming to an event. But God wants us to do more than come to an event. He wants us to get into each other's lives. He wants us to enjoy spiritual friendship. Because truth be told, and I, this is, you know, I'm a pastor saying this, okay? If we're just coming for music and for a message, we can get that online. We can just, any time of the week, we can get that online. There's something you can't get online. And that is face-to-face, eye-to-eye relationship. God wants us to grow in relationship. Now, through the years, we've used different words to express this. We talked about having authentic relationships. We think spiritual friendships probably says it a little bit better. But the whole idea is relational authenticity. We want to have relational authenticity. Spiritual friendships flow from relational authenticity. Now, I could give you a lot of things of what it means to be authentic. Genuine, true, honest, faithful, dependable. It's not false. It's not fake. It's not unreliable. But the main word here is it's real. We want to have friendships that are as real as possible. I love this quote. It says, pride, pride makes us artificial. When we're proud people, we tend to be fake in our relationships. But humility makes us real. When we approach each other and approach God with humility, our authenticity rises and our friendships, our spiritual friendships are deepened. So what I'd like to do this morning is to look at two passages. One that talks about spiritual relationships in their ideal, and one that looks at spiritual relationships when they kind of broke down. And the one that expresses the ideal, again, goes back to Acts chapter 2. Here we have the church in its absolutely purest form. The Spirit of God has just descended on these people's heads. I mean, they are in absolute, beautiful, pure form. And they express relational authenticity in a way that is positively beautiful. You know, we talk about the six actions involved in this passage. And truth be told, every one of those actions require relationship. You've got to have relationship going on if you're going to experience any of these in their truest form. And the passage begins with, they devoted themselves. What a beautiful passage, when it, what, what a beautiful term when it comes to relationship. That I'm devoted to you, that you're devoted to me, that we're devoted to each other. Not devoted to an organization, not devoted to a church in the sense of organization, but we're devoted personally to each other. We have that level of connection with, the, uh, with, with each other, true devotion. So as you work through this, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching. I mean, there's a relationship there, right? They had a relationship with the apostles. They heard what was being said. Then it says they devoted themselves to fellowship. That's a Greek word. You've probably heard it before. Koinonia. And it basically means communion, holding things in common. It talks about unity. The same word, a form of the word is used a little bit further down in the passage where it says that they held everything in common. They they sold their things and held everything in common. It's the same word, to hold things together, to have a like purpose, a like mind together. So they devoted themselves to this fellowship. They devoted themselves to breaking of bread. This was communion. This was worship. And, you know, we can certainly worship on our own, but I'll tell you what, worship just really is enriched when we're with other people who are loving God together as well. And we get that chance to break bread together and share communion together. And then the prayer, it says they devoted themselves to prayer. It's interesting, this translation uh, doesn't translate the word quite right because it's actually a plural. They devoted themselves to the prayers, to the prayers that the church was praying, to the prayers that they were praying together. So here, all these common things. And then it goes on to say they were filled with awe and wonder at the the signs performed by the apostles. Now, here's what I love. Every once in a while, you'll have an experience where you are just filled with awe. I had one a few years back. I was up at Green Lake in Wisconsin. And don't ask me why, but I was up at 3 in the morning. And I took a wander to go see the night sky. Because the night sky in Wisconsin 
is just amazing. I, they got a better sky than us. I don't know how that happened. And so I'm out there and I'm looking at the sky and I'm, I'm standing on the boat dock and I'm looking out over the pine trees and there is this meteor shower going on. I mean, it is just meteor after meteor. Boom, boom, boom. It's just, it's lighting up. And I, the whole time, I, it's like I was at the fireworks. Ooh, ah, ooh, ah. I mean, it was beautiful. And, and you know what? <laughs> that moment would have been so much better if one other person had been standing here. And another person had been standing here. And we could have ood and odd together. And that's what's going on in this passage. You have this whole group going, isn't it amazing what God is doing? It's one thing to say it ourselves. It's another thing to be able to say it to someone else. Isn't it amazing? Isn't it amazing what God is doing? Then it talks about this idea that they, they, they held everything they had in common. They sold their property and possessions to give to those in need. And, and we look at that and it's like, okay, so was, was the Bible espousing communism? This wasn't a top-down thing. This wasn't the apostles saying, now give up all your stuff, bring it to church, we'll figure out how to distribute it for you. This was people who were so moved by the Spirit of God that they looked around and they said, we want nobody among us to have a need. And I would quicker sell off what I have and share it to make sure that they don't have need. This is something that the Spirit inspired within them, that desire to make sure that everybody was cared for. Again, moving away from self to say, I care about everybody, not just me. Then it says, every day they continue to meet together in the temple courts. Every day. I tell you what, we struggle once a week, don't we? We struggle with an hour a week, million conflicts on Sunday morning. I might be here, I might not, depends on what's going on. Every day these people said, these relationships matter so much. I want to see you every day. And I want to be in the presence of God with you every day. It says they broke bread in their homes. I love this part. They didn't just leave it to the facility. They didn't just leave it to the building. They said, come to my house. And you got to think about their house. You're thinking about your house right now. Think about their house. Little stone house without even a door, just a doorway, dirt floor. I mean, can you imagine coming to Kim Pap's house with a dirt floor? And here she is sweeping away, trying to get rid of it. doesn't happen, you know. They were just, come live life with me. Come be with me. When's the last time you had a friend into your house? Just said to a friend, come be at my house. That's the level of sharing that was going on, that they were, they were together with each other. Um, so they, they broke bread in each other's homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. This is what I love. They, they shared a common spirit. There was a gladness about them and a sincerity about them that said, we just love God, we love each other, and there was thanksgiving rising from them. And it says, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So on top of everything else, we see that it was infectious. And more and more people are saying, I want to be a part of that too. I'm not mocking it or something, but, you know, they didn't postcard Jerusalem. New church opening. Come, come be with us. They were just so genuine that people said, I want that. I want to be a part of that. That, that, is, that is essential. That is important to me. So here's what we see going on, just the spirit of mutuality and love and acceptance. And, and they're really embracing each other. Spiritual friendship is taking place. Now, there's another passage where we see spiritual friendship kind of break down. It's actually in 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy is all about relationship. It's about a relationship between a spiritual dad and a spiritual son. And, and Paul literally uses those words. He says, you're a spiritual son to me. I, 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 you were born into the faith through your mother. You were born into the faith through our ministry. And, and I love that relationship that we're able to share and throughout, he's just giving advice and helping Timothy as he grows as a young man. A young man of 40, by the way. But anyway, as he's growing, he's sharing with him. And we come down, you know, I think about the Apostle Paul. I don't, do you have images of people in the Bible? You kind of picture who they are, what they're like. So get your picture of the Apostle Paul in your mind. You got your Apostle Paul? I, I want to show you my Apostle Paul. Here he is. The Apostle Paul is a spiritual Jack Bauer. Minus the gun. He's holding a scroll, you know. And, and the Apostle Paul is walking around with determination. He never really questions what needs to be done. It's like, we're going to do this. We're going to do this now. Let's go. Let's get at this. He's always got a solution. He's emotional, but he doesn't show it a lot. And he never lets it get in the way of the job. 
you know, to defend that, here are Jack Bauer's life verses, okay? From 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And he says, we're pressed on every side with troubles, but we're not crushed. We're we're perplexed, but we're not in despair. We're, we're, We're downtrodden, but... But we're never abandoned by God. Do you hear him? I mean, it's just like there's this hopefulness, this optimism that no matter what, we're going to get through this. That's the spirit of this man. But you come to the end of the book, you come to chapter 4, and I hear one of the most tender and honestly one of the most heartbreaking passages in the Bible. Here's what Paul says. He says, Timothy, please come as soon as you can. Just get here as soon as you can. He's in prison. Please come as soon as you can. Demas has deserted me because he loves the things of life and has gone to Thessalonica. Cretans has has gone to Galatia and Titus has gone to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. He's the only one here. Bring Mark with you when you come for he'll be helpful to me in my ministry. I sent Tychicus to Ephesus and when you come, please be sure to bring my coat that I left in Carpus. With, with Carpus and Troas. Also bring my books, and especially my papers. Bring the parchments, too. He goes on to say, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm, but the Lord will judge him for what he has done. Be careful of him, for he fought against everything we said. And then he goes on to talk about his appearance in court. He says, the first time I was brought before the judge, no one came with me. Ever been in a situation like that and been completely alone? No one came with me. Everyone abandoned me. May it not be counted against them. But the Lord stood with me. Here's that Jack Bauer part, right? He, he, here comes the hope. But the Lord stood with me. And he gave me the strength so I might preach the good news in its entirety for all the Gentiles to hear. And he rescued me from certain death. Yes, the Lord will deliver me from every evil attack and bring me safely into the heavenly kingdom. All glory to God forever and ever. Amen. So I want to just look at the things that are going on in this passage. What's, what's happening here? The first thing we see is that Paul Paul's just desperate. It says, come to me as soon as you can. The King James used to translate this, come before winter, which I think is a beautiful statement, although the word winter isn't in the Greek. I think they pulled that out because he talks about needing his coat. And the coat was needed because winter is coming. And also because if Timothy doesn't get there in time, he's going to be getting there by ship. And if he doesn't travel fast enough, he will not be able to sail. The seas will be too rough. And now he won't make it for an entire season. So he's desperate. Would you just get here as soon as you can? Have you been in that spot of desperation where you are alone and you're just saying, I need someone here now. Timothy, get here. Then you come to the next one. He's just incredibly disappointed. He talks about Demas. And he says, Demas has deserted me because he loves the things of this life and has gone on. He loves the things of this life and has gone to Thessalonica. He's deserted me. This is tough. You know, if you've, if you've been in spiritual relationships for a while, this may have happened to you. That you thought you had someone that was on board with you. You thought you were growing in the faith. And all of a sudden they just, they take the spiritual car of their life and they, they drive it off the road. And you go, what happened here? I thought we were on the same page. I thought we were spiritual friends. I thought we were growing together. It reminds me of the parable of the sower and the seeds. You know, in the sower and the seeds, Jesus is talking about uh, the different kinds of soil. He says, some of the seed fell on the path. And there was a lack of understanding. And so the seed was snatched away. Talks about the rocky ground where the word was received with joy, but it had shallow roots. So when problems came, the plant dried up. And then it talks about the thorns. It says, all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the worries of this life and the lure of wealth. So no fruit is produced. Three out of four of the seeds don't produce. Three out of four of the seeds get a start but fall apart. And, you know, sometimes we wonder when our friends do drive their car off the spiritual path, we go, what happened? What did I do wrong? Refer back to the parable of the sower and the seed. Sometimes the lure of this world and the worries of life 
choke out the seed. And we just need to keep praying for friends who may have, in this sense, uh, disappointed us, let us down. We thought we were in a different place together. Paul goes on to talk about being alone. Talks about people who left. And, And it doesn't say that the people left for bad reasons. They went to do ministry in other places. Honestly, one of the things that's hard for me in this season, it's really hard. Jeff and Rachel Buck, Mark and Kara Weber, Eric and Sarah Richter, and I could go on. Friends who, thanks to a wonderful economy in Illinois, have decided to move to other places, have decided to get to other places. And these are people that you're like, wow, we're doing life together. This is us. We're here. And now they're gone. And I know some of you go through this. Mobility has caused you to say, I'm never digging my roots too deep. I'll do a hi, my name is, but we're not going to become friends. I'm protecting myself from this kind of a loneliness where we become friends and now all we do is uh, text and, and that sort of thing. We can't see each other on a daily basis. It actually leads Paul to be nostalgic. He talks about, bring Mark with you. Now, if you go back in the passage, go back in the passages, you find out Mark is the guy that he fights over with Barnabas because he says Mark can't cut it. He just doesn't have what we need. And Barnabas, Barnabas thinks everybody can cut it. He's just positive about everybody. And this is the point where the two of them just say, we're parting ways because I want people that are effective and you just want to coddle people. And we're, we're just, we're done. And at this point, Paul actually comes back and says, I'd even take Mark. I'd even take Mark. And I'm sure Mark has done some growing, but he's nostalgic and saying, I just, I need someone here. I need them here right now. We see that Paul is in need. He says, bring the coat. Prison is cold. Winter is coming. Bring the coat. Bring my papers. Bring bring the things that I have, the few things that I own in this life. Bring them along. We find that he's under attack. He talks about Alexander the coppersmith. I mean, this is a guy that is just fighting him at every turn. And you go through that too. You're doing something good for God and you have people fighting you. And you know what we tend to do? What's wrong with me? The problem in this case was Alexander. He was a troublemaker. And sometimes troublemakers will come along. I mean, there's this point in our lives that we'll move even from a sense of being under attack till we actually feel betrayed. We feel let down. And you know what? This is all, I heard to say, this is all part of developing spiritual friendships. It's all a piece of it. He says he was abandoned. He was abandoned. There he is in court. Nobody's there with him. He's completely alone in this, but he remains hopeful. He doesn't remain hopeful in the human spirit. He doesn't remain hopeful because of his friends. What does he say? God was still with me. And God will always be with me. And God will get me through this. And God will use whatever he needs to use in my life, even friendships that sometimes don't work in order to bring about great things in my life. You know, as I spend time with people, here's a fact that I'm learning. People are really lonely. (laughs) They're really lonely. Go ahead and just Google epidemic of loneliness and see what comes up. You'll just find page after page after page of people talking about the fact that we live in this era in which there's greater connection than ever. You know, 725 Facebook friends but nobody to turn to in a time of pain. And that loneliness is just, it's overwhelming for a lot of people. I was, a friend recommended this past week, uh, watching the movie about the life of Rich Mullins, Christian songwriter. It's just been put out recently. Fantastic movie from this standpoint. Shows a very real man who was as popular as popular can be in the Christian world. And he was lonely. He just, his loneliness ate at his heart. And he had to work through that loneliness that he was experiencing. People are incredibly lonely. And the answer to that epidemic is spiritual friendship. A friendship that can only be found in Christ and can only be found in his church. Let me give you a definition. A spiritual friendship is a relationship grounded in Christ for the purpose of growing in Christ. So this friendship we share in part is because we're related You love Jesus, I love Jesus. You came to Jesus, I came to Jesus. We're part of the same family. It's grounded in Christ. And then we determine we want to grow together. 
We want to see growth. Now, it may not always be a formal declaration. Here, would you sign this? I want to grow with you. It's not like that. But there's this understanding that, you know what? I'm supposed to be becoming more like Jesus, and you're supposed to be becoming more like Jesus. So why don't we do this together instead of alone? There's some fundamental passages that talk about this. I I love Amos 3.3. It says, can two people walk together without agreeing on a direction? What's the answer? I hope you said no. Of course you can. I mean, if we can't agree on a direction, we're both going on individual walks, but we're not going to walk together. Now, what Amos is not saying here is that if you are spiritual friends, you will be in lockstep unity on everything. I like cliff bars. Do you like cliff bars? You better because we're going to be spiritual friends. We have to agree on everything. No, no. It says we're grounded in Christ together and we want to grow in Christ together. And there's the beginning of the common walk that we share together. Proverbs 27, 17. You knew this verse had to come as we talk about this today. As iron sharpens iron, so one friend sharpens another. Spiritual friendships mean that we help each other to not be who we were. We we challenge each other to continue to grow. A, A spiritual friendship doesn't let me stay In my stagnant state. A spiritual friendship says, come on, let's get going. I'm going to prod you and you're going to prod me and we're going to keep growing together. Another great passage on spiritual friendship is found in Hebrews 10.24. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Have you ever done that with a friend? Just sat down and said, how could we love better? Not necessarily each other. How could we express love better? What could we do better than we're doing right now? These are the elements of a spiritual friendship. And we we absolutely believe in spiritual friendships. How do spiritual friendships happen? You know, you may be wondering, so so how are we going to make this happen around our church? How does this work? Well, spiritual friendship requires two things. We've already seen it. It requires a degree of intentionality. There's got to be purpose. You've got to want to be more like God. And I've got to want to be more like God. I mean, if you're saying, God schmod, this is probably not going to be a really good spiritual friendship. We may enjoy going to a football game or something, but there's this degree to which we're saying we are going to purpose together to grow in Jesus. Now, part of what I love about this is it's not just two people joining up and saying, okay, we're just going to quote verses to each other, but we recognize that there's, it's not a duet, there's a trio here. Jesus is truly present with us. And we're growing in friendship with each other as we grow in friendship with him. Part of spiritual friendship is not only purpose, but it's also this other word, presence. You can't have a spiritual friendship if you're not there. I can't be a spiritual friend with you if you're not here. And this is a struggle, I think, in our times. That, you know, we, we tend to think, I want friends, I just don't have time for them. I want to grow. I just don't have time to be with people. Here's the fact. If you want to grow a spiritual friendship, it's going to require an investment of time. There is no way around it. I mean, we're not going to invent a, a you know, Christian tingle site that sets everybody up. And okay, now here's your spiritual friend at Southfield or something like that. It's not the way it's going to work. You have to determine to be with people. That's part of it. So there's the purpose and then there's the presence. And part of what happens with presence is you've got to develop a long-haul mentality. One that doesn't say the first time I get hurt, I'm out. I'm done. It's over. I get so weary. I've been a pastor long enough. I get so weary of watching the three and out. Watching people come to a church. The first year is, this is the best church I've ever been to in my life. The second year is, hmm, not really sure about this. The third year is, this place worships Satan. There's got to be a better place. There's got to be a better place. And the truth is, what often happens, there's something at year three that a person is not willing to grow beyond. And so what do they do? They go live out the first three years somewhere else. And then somewhere else and then somewhere else. And they never grow beyond it. You will never run a marathon if you don't pass mile three. You will never grow spiritually if you never get past the third year. We need a long-haul mentality. A friend of mine posted this on their Facebook site recently. I thought it was great. A reporter asked an old couple, how did you manage to stay together for 65 years? The woman replied, we were born in a time when if something was broken, we would fix it and not just throw it away. 
We treat each other like paper cups. I'm tired of you. You offended me. You didn't do this or that for me. You weren't there for me. Crum, 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 boom. There's got to be someone better out there for me. We need a long-haul mentality that's willing to be present in a person's life through good and through bad. So, how do spiritual friendships work at Southfield? Well, one of the pieces, they work organically and naturally. Like I said, we're not going to do Christian tingle, okay? This isn't, we're not going to have this great matchmaking site where we find you your friend. The truth is, if you're going to have a friend, you're going to have to step out and try to make one. You can't come five minutes late to church, leave two minutes before the song is done, and then say, there are no people that want to be my friend at that church. you got to actually come a little early, leave a little later, and hang out and start to get to know people. Getting to know people, getting to know their name, and just those little pieces that start for the opportunity for a friendship to happen. Now, I love the idea of organic, and truth be told, I've done organic gardening, and it's a pain in the neck. It's a lot easier to fertilize that puppy and spray the bugs and do all that stuff. You can get tomatoes this big. They're fantastic. But I'll tell you what, when you get out there and pull each weed by hand, and you flick the aphids yourself and do all that stuff, at the end, you end up with a piece of fruit that's just and tomato is a fruit. You end up with a piece of fruit that is just fantastic and wonderful. You will have a far better friendship if it is grown naturally and organically than if somehow we, we figure it out for you on our new magic website. So it's organic. It's natural. Our primary vehicle for developing relationships is a, a journey group. Someone said this, not me. We've got to get the church out of rows and into circles. Uh, we don't become friends. Sit, I mean, maybe you're writing notes back and have a great time. All right, whatever. But we don't become friends sitting next to each other watching me. We become friends when we're in a smaller group talking to each other, being with each other. So this is a primary vehicle, a primary vehicle for care, a primary place for connecting to take place. Another piece for us, this may sound a little weird. We want less tech and more touch. Let me just give you one practical example of this. So when we move into the new place, check-in is not going to happen at unmanned stations anymore. You're not going to just walk up and punch your name in and go. You walk up to somebody who's holding an iPad, and you're going to get a name tag from them. Now, why? Because a human has to look at you and go, hi. And you have to look back and go, Hi. And your little kid is going to have somebody kneel down and say, How you doing today? I've checked. The kiosks just don't do this. I mean, they've had the cool kitty picture on there and all that kind of stuff. But, but they just don't do this. We want to make sure technology makes things very efficient. And relationships aren't efficient. Relationships are a mess. They're hard, and they take time, and they take work. We can get things done very efficiently, and in the process, we cut off the opportunity for a hi, my name is, or how was your week, or how you doing right now. So that's a piece of it, but let me give you the last one. We want to promote an atmosphere and not just have an assignment. Please don't depend on Dora and Eileen and Mike and the ever-friendly John Beaker to make all the new friends in the church. And the rest of us can go ahead and be our shy selves and just be quiet because, because it's been taken care of. we got to step out. we got to step out and initiate a friendship, initiate a conversation. It's not an assignment. It's an atmosphere. An atmosphere we, where we say spiritual friendships matter, and I'm going to get involved in cultivating them. And I've got to admit to you, it's not easy. I'm an introvert. The conversations are not always easy. But that's what church is supposed to be. Conversations that lead to relationships grounded in Christ so that we're growing in Christ together. Let me just hit this before we're done. How can we do better? How can we do better? We already hit on a couple of things. We need to learn names. We need to learn names, which means, like I said, amnesty day. Get all of them you can, okay? 
But for crying aloud, if you don't know a person's name after two years, just say, I'm sorry I've forgotten your name. Let's start over. Names are huge in establishing relationship. The good shepherd knows each of us by name. It's, a, it's a, an important connecting point. We need to know names. As I already said, come a little early. Stay a little longer. Now, having said that, you're going to take me up on that next week. And here's what happens. I've watched it happen time and time again. The people who come all the time walk to their spot. I'm telling you what. Your feet are worn into the spot. And you stand with your person looking at you. And I've watched the salmon swim up the hallway, weaving through the groups, and not get one hello. One week, that might be forgivable. Three months, we can't just rely on the people at the doors. We need eyes of awareness Eyes that look around. Again, you know, some people say, all you care about is new people. No, I'm talking about people that have been coming for two years that are still the salmon swimming up the hallway. Eyes of awareness that look and say, you know, we have a lot of people that come here alone. Do you know how hard it is to break into a place when you come alone? It's really hard. And we can make it easier for them by just saying hello. Or you come into this room, here's what eyes of awareness look like. You come into the room, typically, I don't know if you know this because you're probably not here then. When you come at the start of the service, the place isn't really very full. And you know who's sitting here? The people are saying, let's get this show on the road because I'm sick and tired of standing out there waiting for someone to talk to me. Come in and look, and if there's someone sitting alone, why not just go sit by them? Make it a ministry that you have eyes of awareness that look around the room and say, Who week after week after week after week is alone? Because nobody should leave this place without a hello. Nobody should leave this place without having had someone reach out with the hand of God and show them some love. It's an atmosphere. It's not an assignment. It's not something I can program. It can't be, you know, Dennis is friends with everybody and the rest of the fish just sit in their pools can't be that way. We've got to think beyond ourselves. Break out of your circles. Uh, This is one I've talked about in the past. You know, our tendency is I'm talking to you and what do we do? We're here. Why not just open the circle enough that somebody might feel the freedom to come up and stand in that circle and talk? Now, I know what happens after something like this. First of all, I am not scolding you. All right. This is human nature. After a while, we just get into our comfortable patterns. And part of what I love about the new building is that for at least four weeks, we won't have comfortable patterns. But we'll figure them out eventually, right? Some of you are just going to be paranoid next week because you're going to go, he knows where I stand. He's watching where I stand. That's not what this is about, okay? This is about eyes of awareness that say, if we value spiritual friendships, we had better be friendly. There's this old cliche, people aren't looking for a friendly church, they're looking for a friend. Sometimes I worry that we're neither. We can't be neither. We're friendly with each other. But how many people have come and gone? Let me, let me give you kind of a fun, I'm running way too long. Woo, here we go. I need Bill's timer from last week. People come because of an impression. I sit in small groups and I usually ask a question, what brought you to Southfield? And and inevitably, it's an impression. Like the sermon, like the music, kids' program. We've had people that hated what was going on in here, but their kid wanted to come back. And so it was an impression. All right? People come because of an impression. But here's the thing. People drift when there is no connection. So they'll come for a week, a month, two, three, and then they're just not here anymore. And you wonder why. They never made a connection. It never moved beyond an impression. Our responsibility is to make the connections, not just with each other, but with people who are saying, I'd sure love a relationship that is grounded in Christ and helping me to grow in Christ too. So again, not an assignment, but an atmosphere. And that's what all of these six are about, an atmosphere, a heart that says we love people too much to watch them walk out without at least somebody saying hi. And we love people too much without seeing them grow in Christ so that when the day comes that they reach heaven, they are ready. They are ready 
for the next step of their spiritual walk. So, all right. Dana, we're not doing the last song. Isn't that cool? How that works. Dennis, talky, talky, too muchy, muchy today. But we have some servers that are going to get offering plates, and they are running as fast as they can. Some of them apparently are arthritic because they're walking slowly as fast as they can. And while they do that, I have a few things I want to share with you. The first is to remind you about Southfield Kids. Still got a little bit of confusion about this um, with new services and everything. So come and do it. Um, we offer little kid child care during both services. Big kid, kindergarten to five is 11 only. And we offer child care for a lot of reasons. But one of them is so that you can, you can put your undivided attention into what's going on in here. And so that the people around you can put their undivided attention into what's going on around here. So take advantage of those opportunities with Southfield Kids. Here's a save the date for you. I won't tell you what it is, but save the date. February 21st. Just write it down. Ladies retreat. So February 21st, it's coming. Make sure you write it down. Happens to be a Saturday. Third one. I have this week's reading for you. Always found in the bulletin. Four passages. Again, we're trying this idea of just settling in on a few passages and reading them deeply instead of racing through 12 chapters at a time. What I've been doing is reading all four passages early in the week, and then I just settle in on one. And for the rest of the week, I just read that one again and again and again and let that passage soak into my heart. So keep doing the reading. And then uh, I don't have any great pictures for you today. Uh, you're getting to the point that you don't need pictures. Landscaping happened this week. Great stuff going on on the, si- on the inside. I think pretty soon we're looking at paving. And we will be letting you know very soon what day we're going over for our tour. Keep watching your email. We'll make sure we inform you of what's going on with that as it comes. So down to the end. Here we are. This was week 12. What comes next week? What's coming? Here we are. Boom. Week 11. Gone. Awesome. Why don't you stand? And we don't normally force, you know, force friendship or something like that. But for crying out loud, the person's wearing their name. So you can take a glance and refer to them by name and say hi. Have a great week.